we've been in a season uh, where we've been talking about discipleship, being discipled uh, by the Lord, uh, by one another, and also discipling those around us, being disciplers. Uh, we've come up with uh, five discipleship questions that just sort of help us stay on point in our personal discipleship and as well as in our efforts of discipling other people. Here are four of them. Uh, what's God saying to you lately? I asked, I asked Renette that, uh, knowing that she would have a good answer. Uh, what are you working on in your life, perhaps having to do with what the Lord has been speaking to you lately? What's tangling you up? We did not get that far in our brief conversation. Uh, how can I help is a good closer uh, for those conversations. The one I left out is whom are you developing? I, uh, I am in a, a season of a lot of traveling uh, and... Uh, one nice thing about long air flights, and there is only one nice thing, is that it gives, uh, most of the time, it gives me just quiet time uh, with the Lord unless I sit next to that chatty person, and you know, you know who I'm talking about. Um, but I would take a lot of red eyes, you know, from the island, and so people typically leave you alone. And, and I, I was reflecting on an air flight that I took uh, way back at the beginning, like when we were starting this church. And uh, it was an international flight. It was a very long flight. And I was, uh, I was coming home and just sort of praying with the Lord about, you know, we're, we're going to start this church. Uh, talk to me about it. You know, what, what should the vision be? And the Lord began to speak very, very intensely, energetically, and, and pointedly about the sort of person that he wanted to develop with this tribe uh, that we were collecting here, what would come to be called the Blue Water Tribe. Um, and the vision that he gave me uh, was of a person, and maybe some of you have heard me speak about this, a person who uh, we, we could fly anywhere in the world and just airdrop them, just parachute them out of a plane, and no matter where they landed, they would hit the ground and begin right there building the kingdom of God. So a person who was potent and, and, and flavorful, wherever you stuck them, they would be capable enough and, and, and kingdom-minded enough to create impact and change and just kind of begin gathering people into uh, the kingdom of God. And uh, eventually we, you know, just come to call that, that sort of person uh, a blue water person. And blue water is a sailing term that speaks of adventure and, and far travel. They are independent movers, right? You could stick them anywhere and they would figure out how to get the kingdom moving. They would use whatever gifts, whatever tools they had to foment some kingdom progress. They're self-starters, um, self-movers, which is the name of, of today's sermon. Uh, to make this happen, uh, I thought of, of another image uh, in short order, and it was the image of the beehive. You guys ever been around a beehive before? Anyone? Yeah? They're, they're fascinating little collections of, of life. The thing about a beehive, you all associate this with the beehive, is the buzz, right? You approach the beehive, and there's always a sound happening, right? There's, there's that distinctive buzz. Uh, you can always hear the buzz as you approach. Actually, the buzz is not a sound. The buzz is a collection of sounds, right? The thing that gives the beehive its distinctive voice is the movement of all these different organisms. You know, it, the beehive speaks with a voice, but really it's a collection of a whole bunch of, of little sounds made by a whole bunch of 
little insects. That's what makes it distinctive. Uh, the hive sounds like it does because there's so much movement in it. And I think that's what a church should look like. Be all this movement, all of these people buzzing with activity, buzzing with ministry. I think that's what would give a place like Blue Water its distinctive voice in, in the world. And what happens uh, to beehives when a piece gets broken off? You take a few bees and you move them miles from the beehive and you sort of stick them in a, in a different place. What do they do? Well, the term, if you're a beekeeper, is they colonize. They immediately build another little bee kingdom. Right? It's, it's just what they do. And they don't stop until they have another hive. You know, they will create another queen. They'll just kind of do it all over again because it's like in their DNA. They are blue water travelers. You know, and given half a chance, they will spread life and community wherever they go. I want to be a bee, right? Everybody say, buzz. You knew it was coming, didn't you? You knew it was coming. Everybody, buzz. Music. Music to my soul. It also makes me itch a little bit. But... Um, you know, transplant bees somewhere, they will get to work building, they will organize, and boom, life. Another image I think of is the image of the billiard table. I used to play a lot of pool, uh, something that my dad and I uh, did together. And imagine, like, you know, there's the break where you, uh, you smack the cue ball at the beginning of the game, you hit the rack of balls, and they start bouncing all over the place. The physics of a pool table is such that once a certain fraction of the balls get moving, then all of the balls are going to get moving, right? Because the balls that you hit are ricocheting around, and, and, and movement begets movement. You know, at a certain point, it's, there's going to be movement all over the table, provided that there's one ball moving hard enough. And I think that, too, speaks of life in the kingdom of God. Movement begets movement. If I am charging ahead in ministry, then I'm going to knock into some of you, right? Or you're going to knock into me. And enough of us get moving, all of us will be moving invariably. We'll just bang into each other. And that has a wonderful clacking musical sound uh, as, as well. Uh, this is how a group becomes more than the sum of its parts. You know, because you're borrowing momentum and movement from the people around you. And that, that's what I'm shooting for. That's what God has impressed upon me in terms of the importance of this hour I, I, you know, just to get to the point, I want it to be impossible for anyone to be part of Blue Water Mission and not be discipling. I want to create a movement. Everybody kind of gets into it. Everybody is a buzz. You know what defines a movement? People in, in churchdom and Christendom talk a lot about the movement of the kingdom. Sometimes it's called a, a, a revival movement or something like that. You know what defines a movement? Moving, right? If you're part of a movement, then you are moving by, by definition. One final image and concept, and then I'll stop this. Heat, you know what heat is? Heat is just movement at the atomic, the molecular level. It's just little, little tiny molecular atomic particles moving around. And uh, in a substance, if you get the little particles agitated, the atomic particles, then it then it creates, it releases energy. But really, if you could look down into the atomic level, the molecular level, you would just see things moving around. You know what cold is? Lack of movement. 
when something is, is frozen, then the particles are almost entirely still. Um, the thing is, heat travels, doesn't it? If you touch something hot, the heat spreads to you. So if you touch a movement, the movement spreads to you. That's really what's going on. If you touch something cold, you slow down. I want to be hot. Oh, yeah. Um, not cold. I like this to be a very hot place in the sense that it's impossible to be here and not catch the heat, not get fired up, so to speak. Well, our job uh, is to carry the kingdom of God, this thing called the kingdom of God. Uh, kingdom means king's dominion or the king's control. I like the word order. Uh, the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew calls it in his gospel, is the order of heaven. Uh, let your kingdom come. Let your order come on earth as it is in heaven. Our job is to manifest heavenly order on earth. And heavenly order is a wonderful thing. Uh, in heaven, is anybody lonely? No. So when we manifest the order of heaven on earth, we gather in. We create family. We create community. We create unity and intimacy. Uh, in the kingdom of heaven, well, in heaven, is anybody sick? No, so when we manifest the kingdom of heaven on earth, we, we heal sick people, supernaturally if necessary. In heaven, is anybody deprived? Is anybody poor? Is anybody hungry? No, so those of us who carry kingdom order on earth, we manifest justice wherever we go, supernaturally if necessary. Uh, we'll talk about a story on supernatural provision a little later today. Uh, that's what we are. A big part of our kingdom mission, the order of heaven, is to gather people into the order, to spread the blessing of the order. How many of you are in a good season for, well, let's just, let's just use the christian -y word. How many of you are in a good season for evangelism, a good season for evangelizing other people? All right, well, six of you. How many of you are in a good season for gathering people into the community of the kingdom of Christ? A few more. Yeah, it's the same thing. I'm just trying to pick words that make sense to you. Uh, we're just spreading the kingdom order, and our job is to get people into the order of God, which is a very blessed place to be, a very blessed uh, condition. How many of you are in a season that makes it tough for you to gather people into the kingdom? Or how many of you are in a season that makes it tough to be a kingdom influence to the people around you? Tough season? Yeah? Uh, a few more of you. Well, Jesus tells a, uh, well, he, he manifests a little story about that. We talked to it at the recent all church, talked about it at the recent all church retreat. Jesus approaches a fig tree on his way to Jerusalem one morning, and he's hungry and he looks for fruit, but it's not the season for figs. So the tree has a lot of pretty leaves, but no fruit. And so what does Jesus do? He curses the fig tree. And the next day, after visiting Jerusalem, he and his disciples returned to the fig tree, and it withered from the roots up. It became a lifeless fig tree. And the disciples were a bit alarmed about this because the fig tree was the national symbol of Israel. Um, Jesus explains, hey, with God, all things are possible. Don't freak out yet, boys. A powerful story for me because there is no off-season for fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. Even when it's not the season for figs, we the people of God, still have to be producing. There is no off-season for you. If you're in a tough season for gathering, do it anyway. If you're in a good season for gathering, do it 
and bump into somebody next to you so that they benefit from your momentum. We are greater than the sum of our parts. We can help each other, but we all need to be moving all the time. We all need to be buzzing all the time. We all need to be self-movers. We need to get out of the mindset that we are stationary people, that we are a people who are waiting. We are not waiting. We are a people in motion. That is the nature of the order of heaven on earth. Say amen if you're following me so far. Do you find that encouraging or intimidating? Yes, okay, fantastic. Uh, a few minutes ago, I just had you disciple someone. You gathered into groups of three or four people, and you discipled someone. Right? You asked them kingdom-oriented questions, and, and I bet a few people were actually helped by the exercise. You proved that you could do it, all of you. Um, the more difficult scenario is the one in which you're gathered with a few people and nobody is standing there making you do it, right? I'm not standing over your shoulder saying, hey, remember those four or five discipleship questions? This would be a good time to ask them. Um, that's why you need to be a self-mover. If I just airdropped you in the middle of a, a desert somewhere, you would land and get moving because it's in your DNA. You would colonize the kingdom wherever you are. That's the kind of people uh, that we want to be, a self-mover, someone who, who gets themselves moving into action. You may not be me. You may not be a person who leads a community. Uh, you may not be TJ, someone who's very gifted in, in, in expressing and rallying people with you know, force of, of, of personality and expression, but you have gifts to bring to bear. Um, everybody gets to be a self-mover in the kingdom of God. We have uh, a few stories, uh, brief scriptures. Oh, I lost my program. Somebody give me one. Uh, that are in the back, on the back of your program today. Uh, when I think of being a self-mover, someone who just starts a buzz in the kingdom of God, the guy I think about first is, is perhaps not a guy that you think about, even if you're familiar with the gospel stories. I think about the disciple named Andrew. He was one of the original 12. Do you guys know Andrew? Can anybody tell me anything about Andrew? Right, confirming my suspicion that he's a guy that often gets overlooked in the stories. I mean, who do you know about in the stories? Well, you know about Peter. You know about James and John, probably. But Andrew was a, he was a dude, Andrew figured out ways uh, to get things done. Here's a story from John uh, chapter 1, uh, the opening chapter uh, of that gospel. Uh, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And this speaks of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was uh, a famous teacher in his day, and he had disciples too until he got his head lopped off. And he was, uh, he was hanging out with a couple of his guys one day, it says, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. I love this about John, right? He's like, hey, guys, he would be better to follow uh, than I am. That's actually the Lamb of God. I'm just kind of a, you know, a homeless guy in a hairy coat. Um, <laughs> go, go follow this fellow. So, so they, those two disciples, they started following Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, 
what do you want? Uh, he's so friendly. I love this guy. And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? A polite way of saying, can we hang out with you? Come, he replied, and you will see, which is an invitation that Jesus gives uh, to, uh, to pretty much anyone. Oh, you're interested in me? Follow, and you're going to see some interesting things. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him, parenthetical comment, spending the day with Jesus. Cool? Not cool. That would have been a nice day. I'm not sure what they saw, but uh, the conversation was probably interesting. And they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. Andrew doesn't even get his own designations. He's known as as Peter's brother, which is, you know, any of you have a sibling, have a relationship like that, you're never yourself, you're just somebody's little brother or little sister. Well, that, that was Andrew. Uh, he was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing, first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Who evangelized Peter? Andrew. Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. In other words, you are Simon. Simon means sandy or unstable. You are unstable. You will be called the rock. And the rest is history, as they say. You know what becomes of Peter. Another Andrew scene that I like comes from John chapter 6. And this is the story of Jesus feeding the thousands of people with uh, the little bag lunch of uh, five loaves and a couple fish. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. But another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Hey, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Uh, But uh, how far will they go among so many? And the rest is history. You know exactly what happened. Jesus fed thousands of people with this boy's little uh, bag lunch. You may recall, if you know the story, that at this particular point, uh, the disciples were exhausted. Uh, they'd been ministering for a while, and, and they were in a, in a lonely uh, wilderness-type place, and they just wanted to check out. They encouraged Jesus to send these crowds away. And Philip, uh, the first disciple mentioned, he accurately sees the problem, right? He sees the challenge accurately enough. There are thousands of people here, Jesus, and we have nothing. We can't, we can't feed them. Uh, let me be the, you know, your organizational guru. Uh, we lack the resources, and the crowd is too big. We have no place for them. Uh, send them away. Andrew uh, has evidently struck up a conversation with this kid, right? We, we don't have the backstory, but he's like, well, here's a boy, uh, and he's got some food. And so evidently the boy was in on it, right? Because I, I don't really think that Andrew was going to steal the kid's lunch. He had... You know, I imagine in my mind that he'd been having a, a good, positive, kingdom, moral conversation with this kid. You know, maybe on the importance of sharing. Or, or maybe, 
In some fashion, Andrew has somehow recruited this kid into the ministry team, right? And, and Andrew's, Andrew's goal clearly is as much about including the kid into the community as it is about solving the problem because he probably does not imagine yet feeding 5,000 people with a little lunch. But his goal is this kid, right? You see how he's thinking, right? Uh, Philip is like solving the problem. Andrew is like discipling a young person, which begets fruit. Discipling the person standing in front of you. And that's what I love about Andrew. Simon Peter's little brother. He's always doing this. In the Gospels, you always see him bringing one person at a time. He's the discipler, right? He's, he's always gathering, and it leads to some of the mom most momentous events in world history. It leads to the recruitment of Peter into the church. It leads to the feeding of the 5,000. Maybe Jesus's uh, most famous miracle, the only one that gets mentioned in all the Gospels. Fascinating, fascinating fellow. Andrew was not a superstar. He was a one-person-at-a-time fellow, but he was definitely a self-mover. The dude was always buzzing. He was always at, at work. Paul, I have another story here about Paul. I'll just tell quickly uh, the Apostle Paul. Now, he was a superstar, right? Paul was the greatest missionary uh, of all time in, in, in world history, probably. And I just want to, uh, to read a, a snippet from Acts chapter 17, uh, 16 through 23. It's in your program. I'll actually read a few extra verses. But this is the story of Paul when he shows up in Athens, which was an immensely important city in Greece. Uh, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, so he's just kind of hanging out in the city, biding his time, and he was greatly distressed that the city was full of idols. Like, oh man, they are so pagan here. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So this is Paul, the greatest missionary at all time. He's just hanging out in the city waiting for his friends to show up. But what is he doing? He is starting up conversations all the time. Um, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Epicureanism and Stoicism were popular philosophies of the day. Uh, these days, uh, he would be debating with a secular humanist philosophers, uh, but sort of the philosophy of the age. And he's, he's talking with some of these guys who are into philosophical discussion. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Go, Paul. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, uh, which is sort of like a, a place where guys gathered to discuss ideas. Uh, Mars Hill. It's rendered in English. Where they said to him, May we know more about this new teaching, uh, th this new teaching that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. I love that comment. It's like, uh, it's like uh, living in a, in a university. 
Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you, are, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. Let me just read a few more verses. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord and heaven of earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determines the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. I just read that because it's a lovely statement of the kingdom mission on earth. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. He is quoting there uh, probably uh, from a, uh, a famous poet and, and, and prophet of the 5th fifth, uh, century BC named Epimenides. And the story goes, we actually know the history on this, that altar to an unknown god uh, was suggested by a prophecy from Epimenides about 500 years before this story in Acts chapter 17. Athens had a plague. It was a terrible plague, and the Athenians, being very pagan, sacrificed sheep to a whole bunch of different gods, but the plague would not go away. So they sent to Cyprus, uh, because there was a famous prophet living there. His name was Epimenides, and Epimenides come, came to Athens and said, well, your problem is you're sacrificing to all the gods that you know. But there is a God that you don't know yet. And if you sacrifice to him, the plague will stop. Uh, so they let some sheep graze on Areopagus, uh, Mars Hill. And where the sheep lay down, uh, they built an altar to an unknown God. And then they sacrificed the sheep uh, to that unknown God. And the story goes that the plague immediately stopped. And Paul shows up 500 years later and says, let me tell you the rest of the story. Um, and you can make a lot of that, you know, missiologists talk about redemptive analogies and cultures and stuff like that. God always has a testimony for himself uh, in any culture, and he always has a testimony for himself in any life. You can always find God at work in any individual, even if they don't believe uh, in God. But what I want to point out here is that Paul, the greatest missionary in all time, of all time, spent his energy trying to figure out how to start interesting conversations. That's what the guy did, mostly. Now, one interesting way to start a conversation is, oh, you're sick? Let me heal you in Jesus' name. That starts an interesting conversation. It's a great conversation starter. But on occasion, Paul was just like, hey, let me talk to you about your own traditions, and let me ask you some, wait for it, discipleship questions. Right? He didn't form it in a question in this story, but he essentially said, you know, do you, do you know the God that you know about but don't know about? Would you like to know more about him? Let me, let me tell you. And the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, Greece, of course, is, is a, is a Christian, becomes a Christian country after that. Paul was a superstar, but he was a self-mover. He started interesting conversations. Oh, you're spiritual? Have you thought that through? Do you know why you believe what you believe? That's a great, interesting discipleship questions. 
I just wanted to remind us today as we wrap up our sermon series on discipleship and discipling that this is the season for you to be an influence. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the fig tree, the, the, the nation of God. Your job as salt is to be flavorful. Your job as light is to bring illumination. Your job as the fruit-bearing vine of the kingdom is to give food to people all the time. As we said at the retreat we had recently, always be discipling. It's not just what you do, it's who you are. It's who God made you to be. So, move! Even if you feel like you've been airdropped into a strange, mysterious place in life, get busy. Start, start buzzing. That's how life happens. That's how hives like this get built. Every day, ask some questions of people around you. Share a story. Make an invitation. And you will be contributing uh, to the buzz. Just, it's not hard. Just do it. Last night, um, I went to a, a, a Halloween party over at, at the Chong's house. Craig and Sandy are, they're what I'm not. They are super gracious hosts, and they throw great parties, and it's always wonderful to go over to their house. So, so I just went over there, and they gather a bunch of people uh, from all walks all over the place. So, uh, you know, I've been very low energy. I haven't been feeling uh, very good. But what I did is I just found the people that I didn't know and maybe the people uh, that... Uh, seemed like they were not following Jesus, and I sat down next to them, I grabbed a drink, and I asked questions. Um, the whole night, I never got past question two, the, right? I, I got like, you know, what's God been saying to you lately, or some version of it, like, well, what's important to your life right now, and how are you working on that personally? And then, you know, some kid ran up and asked for candy, and, you know, it all, it all fell apart. But there's always a way to do it even if you only get through question two, you're always flavorful, right? That's who you are. Can you do that? I think this is the hour that is upon us as a family. I think this is what makes us the Blue Water Tribe, if you can do it. I think this is our destiny. I think we are supposed to be movement starters, and we can't start a movement until we are all moving. Maybe it's one interesting conversation at a time. Maybe it's just discipling the one person in front of you or the one person next to you in the crowd. You can do that. You can start a conversation and be salt. Once you get moving, it will come naturally to you. The Holy Spirit himself will give you words if necessary. Once you start moving. Once the buzz begins. And I think that's either who we are or we're just going to be pointless in the world. Let's pray. We desire, Lord, to be part of, of your movement, part of your family, part of your ohana. We desire to be part of your, your hive, carriers of a fruitful DNA. So we celebrate this morning our communion, our community with you, and our community uh, with one another. This week, God will put someone in front of you. Uh, 
And I want to encourage you to ask that person a good question or to make a good offer. That's who we are. Father, perfect your agenda for each one of us today and this week. Let us all be changed and empowered a bit before we go. In Jesus' name, everybody says amen. And everybody says buzz. Have a great week.